0: okay well most of this is going to be on ukraine and related issues which i suppose will come as no surprise to anyone uh we've got in uh, the news zelensky saying that uh, russia can only take kiev uh, if it reduces it to rubble Uh, this is under conditions where the russian army is either just about to or already has uh, completed its uh, encirclement. All I would say is that that is what I would expect to happen, unfortunately. And um, all all you can do is your heart goes out to those that are suffering already, uh, let alone the horror that's going to come from... uh, I would guess weeks, maybe months of um, bombardment of uh, the capital city and other cities um, in Ukraine, uh, because as I've pointed out before, and again, it's uh, you know nothing original, nothing profound in saying it, and that is that uh, no general, let alone an ordinary rank and file soldier, wants to be engaging in uh, street fighting in cities. Um, All your technological advantages sort of uh, are much diminished and uh, you don't know where the enemy is. Is the enemy below ground? Is it uh, firing on you from above? Have you actually destroyed the enemy as you advance? Will it reappear uh, behind you? Um, And that's why, precisely. Uh, The military tactic that we're expecting uh, from the Russian army uh, isn't uh, to go in, isn't to drive into the center uh, of the city, take it over, um, arrest the president and declare a new president. That's not going to happen precisely as Zelensky says. They are going to bombard the city. They're going to bombard it uh, with artillery. Uh, They all bombard it with missiles, Um, they will bombard it uh, with bombs dropped or delivered um, from aircraft. And at the end of the day, yes, as we saw in Syria, as we saw in Grozny, um, the city will be reduced uh, to rubble. And one would expect the casualties to number in the tens and many tens uh, of thousands, perhaps 100, 200,000 people potentially, I don't know. Uh, It certainly will be absolutely uh, terrible. And of course, we're not just talking about people dying uh, in terms of being struck uh, by bombs and shells. We're also talking about people succumbing uh, to diseases as food runs out as the water supply uh, is turned off and people are forced to turn to uh, dangerous uh, sources of food, dangerous sources of of water. Um, Maybe they will arrange so-called humanitarian corridors to get people out. But at the end of the day, um, it will be reduced um, to rubble. So I think that we've got uh, a long time uh, in terms of when it comes to TV screens, when it comes to newspapers, uh, when it comes to the media in general of uh, terrible, terrible uh, suffering. And uh, what we'll have is one after the the other day by day, a relentless diet um, of what we've had recently. uh, And that is Russians' target maternity hospital. Russians target uh, a nursery school. I doubt very much that they actually are targeting um, a maternity hospital or a nursery school. I'm sure nursery schools have been hit and I'm sure a maternity hospital has been hit. Um, So that is what um, will, will dominate. Uh, the headlines, and it will be plucky um, Ukrainians resisting uh, the Russian bear, and uh, we'll have all sorts of people uh, lining up, I think, you know, heartfelt uh, condemning uh, Russia, uh, but not realizing, uh, not thinking about uh, the bigger picture, and uh, I think it's absolutely essential uh, to think about uh, the bigger uh, picture. Before getting uh, to that, I just think that um, where we're at at the moment um, in terms of the propaganda war, it seems to me clear who's, who's winning it. And uh, I'm sure you've got some uh, pro-Putin, pro-Russia voices uh, in what's called the West, uh, but they are a tiny, tiny minority. And so uh, are those that actually talk about uh, NATO. And um, what we've got at the moment is a propaganda war that is black and white, uh, that Russia is the aggressor, Ukraine is the victim, and NATO is just a defensive um, alliance that is forced to stand aside um, and watch what is happening without intervening, but only supplying what uh, Britain calls uh, defensive weapons Well. I don't know what a defensive weapon is myself. I know what a weapon is. Um, What's an aggressive weapon? What's a defensive weapon? Well, the sort of various sections of the press are delighting um, us with uh, videos of Russian tanks being taken out by what are called uh, British anti-tank weapons. Of course, they're defensive, aren't they? Well, a tank can be defensive. (laughs) This is just absurd. Uh, These are weapons that are being supplied by America, supplied by Britain and uh, other uh, NATO powers uh, against uh, the Russian um, army. I don't know to what effect, uh, but I would have thought to some considerable um, effect. Uh, What we're talking about true isn't um, aircraft, uh, not tanks. Uh, But we are talking about um, the most up-to-date anti-tank and uh, anti-aircraft, you know, infantry uh, weapons uh, that uh, are uh, available. Okay. So what's been the result of this uh, propaganda war uh, so far? Um, I'll look at Russia um, in a minute or so, but uh, the result um, has been uh, a rallying, not only of uh, heartfelt feeling um, towards, um, you know, Ukrainians trying to escape cities and Ukrainians trying to escape Ukraine, uh, but what we've seen is uh, the political space opening of where in the United States, for example, um their arms spending you know their war spending they call it defense uh, spending has gone up 32 billion dollars uh, and the figure i've got that it stands on at the present time is 900 uh, excuse me 594 billion um dollars and if you take that figure and the size of uh, the US budget, I think it's as large as the next 10 or 11 um, defense so-called uh, budgets uh, put together. In other words, the United States spends more than Russia, China, uh, India, UK, Germany, carry on down the list, uh, put together, which is just an enormous, enormous um, sum, uh, a waste um, from a Marxist uh, point of view, from a human uh, point of view. What's the aim um, as far as uh, the United States is concerned? Well, I think it is to fight to the last Ukrainian. Uh, I think the aim isn't Uh, to um, trigger off World War III uh, in terms of some sort of generalized um, exchange of uh, nuclear warheads uh, between Russia uh, and the United States. I don't think that they want a no-fly zone precisely for those reasons, that uh, a no-fly zone means one step at a time, uh, that's where you're in danger Of ending up. My own view is that um, what the United States is hoping to do um, sooner um, rather than later, although I personally think, again, this is just my own view, uh, I do think that uh, the United States is thinking um, longer term here. I think that what they've got their eyes on is regime change uh, in Moscow. Uh, I know analogies always break down and you can only take them so far. But I think that what we're seeing here in terms of the bigger picture isn't just Russia and uh, plucky Ukraine. I think that what we're seeing is the equivalent of um, Russian involvement in Afghanistan. Of course, the terrain is different. The level of um, um, industry and culture uh, are very different, but it would seem to me. Uh, that uh, the mass of the Ukrainian population uh, are unwilling uh, to be conquered, to be taken over uh, by uh, Russia, that they will resist, um, and they've got the arms supplies coming in from the West um, that will enable them to put up a very determined and bloody resistance that will see uh, coffins uh, going back uh, to Russia. And I suspect that what the calculation is uh, that you will um, either spontaneously or with the help of uh, the intelligence services, i.e. the CIA, see you know, a movement of mothers who are objecting to this terrible war uh, between Slavic brothers, uh, mad Putin, Adolf Hitler, number two, Um, You will see movement on the streets. You will see, this is the calculation, uh, rebellion uh, in the army in Ukraine, uh, dissatisfaction uh, amongst generals, dissatisfaction amongst the oligarchs who've seen their super yachts uh, confiscated and their properties in London and New York uh, taken um, off them. Um, and some sort of either palace coup or um, some sort of um, um, toppling uh, of the existing regime, either from the army, the you know FSB. There's been reports, I don't know what to believe, of two senior uh, FSB officers placed under house arrest. The story is that these were the guys responsible for delivering to Putin the reports uh, about uh, Ukraine and what to expect if you invaded. The story uh, that the West is telling has to be said is is contradictory. On the one hand, you've got the pushing of this no-fly zone, which is the sort of story of uh, Ukraine being hammered uh, by superior technology, losing. On the other hand, you've got the story of um, The advance not going according to plan, of being delayed, of being hit uh, by anti-tank weapons, of uh, helicopters and aircraft being shot out of the sky, of uh, Russian soldiers uh, surrendering in large numbers and being killed in um, even larger uh, numbers. Either way, whatever the truth is, uh, I think, that what you've got is a combination of um, this sort of propaganda uh, and the reality and the bloody reality of war plus sanctions. And uh, the sanctions are not total, but nonetheless, they're designed to cripple um, uh, the Russian um, economy and um, trigger um, a popular movement from below uh, as well as rebellion From above. And who knows um, what they end up with. But if if America can impose its um, plan, uh, which we presume is a standing plan, uh, what you see is Russia reduced um, to a US neo colony and potentially uh, broken up um, into at least three uh, separate uh, units. All of which would be bought up by uh, international corporations, uh, crucially, US uh, uh, corporations, and the country de-armed, neutralized, treated in the way uh, that uh, post-World War I um, Germany uh, was. So Germany wasn't conquered uh, in 1918, uh, but there was an unequal peace imposed on. Uh, Germany, the Kaiser fell, um, and a new regime was put in um, that was uh, committed to um, basically paying huge reparations uh, to France and uh, uh, other uh, countries that crippled uh, Germany um, economically. And Germany was disarmed and wasn't allowed to develop, you know, tanks, submarine, poison gas. Uh, technology. Uh, That was the terms of the Versailles Treaty. Now, I'm not suggesting, uh, as I've said, that Russia is going to be conquered. It's not going to be conquered, Uh, but nor is Germany uh, conquered. But it can be defeated through a combination of um, Ukrainian resistance, rebellion, uh, both in Ukraine in terms of the army, civilian rebellion, but also, crucially, rebellion at the top and the top i'm including state actors uh, but also um, you know the so-called oligarchs Um, wrong word really because there's not an oligarchy it's not the oligarchs that rule um, in in russia it's a state regime uh, that might facilitate the oligarchs but this is not the oligarchs in charge at the moment okay so just to make the point uh, that from a CIA point of view, um, this is a well-rehearsed um, um, exercise that they've got plenty of experience um, doing um, elsewhere. And you know, you could look at the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, December 1991. Uh, was the CIA involved in that? Well to say that it wasn't would be extraordinarily uh, naive Um, and to suggest that the CIA didn't have plans um, for Russia today would also be extraordinarily naive. Will they succeed? Uh, That's an entirely different matter uh, that will be determined by all sorts of uh, factors, not least how the war uh, is going, how quickly uh, Russia wins. Uh, the war? Can they win the war? And can they impose a Russian peace? I I think it's all very problematic. And that's why I personally, you know, I'm not going to beat myself over the back, just going, is Putin really going to do it? Uh, 130,000 troops? Yes, sure. So what are they there for? But is he really going to do that? Okay, we can get into the arguments of why he did. Um, He was boxed in um, he couldn't, you know, either way he was going to lose. That was my uh, feeling about it. I didn't think he would do it. He, he's done it. And uh, we don't know how it will end up. Suffice to say um, that um, when it comes to such an operation, uh, I think we have to trace it back not to 89, 91. If we're looking at such a CIA operation, um, I think we'd have to trace it back to the overthrow of Mossadegh in 1953 um, in Iran. That was a CIA operation, Um, okay, in combination uh, with MI6, with the British, but nonetheless, this is the first incident I know of. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe there were other such operations in Latin America, but this is the first time I think such an operation was run, um, you know, with the new hegemon in the saddle. Okay. Let's just move on. Uh, we've got all sorts of, uh, you know, the fog of war. Uh, Russia apparently is just about to weaponize Chernobyl. And um, this is all the stories of the power supply being switched off and uh, then radiation is going to be released. This is all nonsense. In, in my uh, view, you know, if you wanted to cause a nuclear disaster, why not just drop missiles deliberately target deliberately a nuclear power station if that's what you want and notice when it came to the uh, i'm not going to even attempt to pronounce it because i haven't, haven't got it written out in front of me and even when i've got it written out in front of me i'm sure i made a complete fool of myself last time around but uh, the last time we had the nuclear power station story what was hit and again i don't think deliberately targeted uh, was an outbuilding um you know this wasn't an attempt to hit a nuclear power station this was an accident in my view because you can hit a nuclear power station by air let alone now uh, you can hit it from the ground with a um, a missile uh, or you could shell it uh, if the artillery is near enough and i don't see that as a serious thing okay You can then get into the argument, which we've already rehearsed in the paper, and I agree with that. It shows you uh, the inherent danger of uh, nuclear power, um, that this wouldn't have been a Chernobyl, uh, but my God, um, yes, it could have precisely with a missile uh, produced you a meltdown in the core and therefore the release of massive amounts of radiation We've also had stories of generals killed. I've mentioned soldiers uh, surrendering. Certainly, we've seen pictures of soldiers and airmen paraded on uh, Ukrainian media. Um, This is um, whatever it's worth against international law. Um, You're not meant to humiliate uh, captives in war. I can understand why the Ukrainians are doing it, Um, but... Um we all know um with such captives that they're in uh, an impossible situation, uh, that either they would be tortured or uh, their friends would be tortured. Uh, they are forced. Uh, and you can't believe anything anyone says, as we were told, were not we? Remember when British pilots were shot down and captured by Saddam Hussein and paraded on TV? Uh, the BBC always told us, you can't believe a word they're saying. That, well, I, I didn't and I don't, uh, even if they're Russian uh, soldiers or or airmen, we don't know uh, what people are thinking. The first casualty, as they say, in war is the truth. And so therefore we need to retain a very skeptical um, attitude to everything that we're being told from all sides, both from Ukraine, Russia, um, and uh, uh, the West. Okay, sanctions, just wanted to talk about sanctions. And make the point, it's an elementary point, um, that these sanctions are not just about super yachts, um, luxury mansions and uh, apartments, football clubs and ill-gotten assets um, in various um, offshore Uh, accounts what they're about who it's going to affect will be ordinary people that would include you and me um, in terms of our gas prices and electricity prices already in the British media we've got stories of uh, families you know having to make the choice between heating their house or feeding their children and choosing to sit there with coats on and feeding their children. Well, we haven't yet been hit, really hit uh, by the price rises that will come as the result of this war, and then the sanction regime uh, that the West is imposing um, on on Russia. Um, And we also need to be aware uh, that it isn't just uh, Britain and Western Europe, or Europe, I should say, Uh, In terms of, you know, the cost of living, squeeze, Uh, it's going to be ordinary Russians as well. And it's not about, um, you know, McDonald's closing um, its operations in Russia. It is about ordinary Russians um, feeding their children, uh, keeping warm um, um, next uh, winter. Um, It is about body and soul. Uh, that's what's going to happen. And we should also emphasize um, that, um, you know, with this war and with these sanctions, what you've got is cut off to a lot of countries is the breadbasket um, in terms of grain uh, that's necessary to keep countries, a lot of countries in the Middle East, such as Egypt, uh, North Africa, um, fed um, and the prices will skyrocket. And so therefore, it's, uh, this isn't just a European question. This is a global uh, question. And of course, what happens under these circumstances of spiraling prices is the poorest are the ones that can't afford it. Um, you know, those who've got a wage in the West uh, will be squeezed, uh, but they're not going to starve. Elsewhere, there will be starvation as a result of, of these sanctions. So the idea of sanctions being painless is a myth. We've seen the effect of um, sanctions in Iraq. How many people were meant to have died? This isn't something you keel over uh, and say, I'm so hungry, I, I die. you catch diseases, you, you, you die prematurely. That's what happens with sanctions. We, we saw it in Iraq, I don't know how many People died is is an estimate of 400,000 people. A lot of them children died. Iran today, you know, basic medical supplies not getting through. Ordinary families, their living standards ground, ground, ground down. Um, That's what's been uh, um, going on. And so I remember um, that um, saint of the reformist left, uh Tony Ben um, urging um, sanctions, and uh, w- we should be quite clear um, that um, this isn't symbolic, this is real sanctions, this is siege warfare. So this isn't done store strikers boycotting uh, you know, South African oranges or grapes or something like that. We are talking about siege warfare of a country. Um, that's going to have global consequences, not just consequences uh, inside Russia uh, itself. Okay. Um thought it was worthwhile uh, to actually comment because it shows you how some expectations are um, easily disappointed. I've sort of described... Um, what I think are America's war aims. And remember, although Americans aren't dying in this war, um, America is at war. It's a proxy war. America has war aims. I've already described them. I think it's designed to achieve regime change in Moscow. And my expectation would be if that was achieved, we'll see a similar crisis as we saw uh, with regime change in 1991 with um, perhaps the you know, biggest drop in living standards and life expectancy seen in modern times. Uh, that's what happened after the collapse of the Soviet Union, not least in Ukraine, which was even worse hit uh, than Russia. But the, the, the war aims of the United States um, is to surround China. Uh, it might not succeed. It might force uh, Russia, as I've argued, to become... Uh, the Austro-Hungary of uh, China, Um, but if they succeed, uh, they will surround China. And again, the aim wouldn't be to send in the US military, it would be precisely uh, to um, carry out um, some sort of regime change from above, some sort of national breakup, hence the importance of China Uh, to territorial integrity uh, that obviously Russia isn't supporting when it comes to the Ukraine and uh, the Donbass. But for China, it looks at Tibet, it looks at Taiwan, it looks at Hong Kong, it looks to its Muslim East, uh, and it recognizes that America, um, you know, has got its eyes on breaking China uh, apart as part of some sort of... um, regime change uh, program, which will not lift China uh, up um, in terms of sharing U.S. living standards or even Hong Kong uh, living standards, but will drive China uh, uh, down. It will subordinate uh, China. It will disarm uh, and depower uh, uh, China. Now, whether America can do that I don't know, but all I can say is, if we look back historically, uh, what you had in the um, late 19th century, early 20th century is a rising Germany, a declining Britain, and yet Britain went on, uh, yeah, with the help of the French, with the Russians, crucially with the Americans, but it was Britain uh, that won uh, World War I, defeated its uh, German rival, and then did it again. Okay, this time it didn't win uh, in World War II. It was America uh, that won. Uh, America became uh, the hegemon, and Britain became the sidekick, something that was um, confirmed definitively in 1956 over Suez. Anyway, what I wanted to do is uh, just refer comrades to this article in the Financial Times. Uh, last week uh, by Francis Fukuyama famous of course for writing that uh, essay the end of history and predicting uh, that with the fall you know of 89-91 history had come to an end he didn't mean that events were all over but basically liberal capitalism was triumphant here was the realization of the ideal he was a is a Hegelian, um, and that uh, US style civilization uh, would spread everywhere. It would spread into Eastern Europe, it would spread into Russia, China. They looked at China and said, well, the market is spread there, US style capitalism along with US style democracy will follow, and we'll do it in the Middle East. And therefore, some of these people uh, in the project for the new American century uh, were Democrats, such as um, Fukuyama, who thought uh, that with the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, uh, this would uh, provide a model for Saudi Arabia, for Iran, and the game would soon be over, and that, um, yeah, we, we then arrive at uh, our ideal uh, state. Instead of that, his uh, article is uh, rather differently named this time around, The War on Liberalism, uh, that instead of seeing liberalism as triumphant, he sees it under siege. And he sees it under siege from two sides. On the one side, there's the populist right, and he describes them as nationalist, xenophobic, anti-science. And then, uh, to my surprise, he also then describes the anti-science left. And I really had to go, what? And then I read further in the article, and what he's referring to is the anti-scientific Uh, uh, left is the ideas of uh, Foucault and I would guess sort of identity politics and extreme subjectivism uh, that uh, is promoted by some sections of um, the left of the US Democrats, various feminists and uh, uh, anti racists but I mean the reality is um, that the left isn't anti-scientific, but that suits his um, discourse to paint liberalism as rational. Uh, But now, instead of being triumphant at the end of history, it's um, liberalism, which is under assault from Christian fundamentalism, from Muslim fundamentalism, from nationalist forces of the right, uh, people like Putin, Modi, you know, in Brazil, everywhere you look, he's he's uh, terrified by what's going on, but also he perceives some sort of threat from the left. But it shows you um, how, um, the, you know, th- this sort of um, worldview, how, how short-lived it was. Uh, nonetheless, it did recruit people on the left and you've still got them today. As I understand it, uh, the social imperialist, uh, Alliance of Workers' Liberty, it's calling out uh, for anti capitalist resistance. That's the Mandelite, um, former, what do they used to call themselves, resisting socialism, um, IMG, International Marxist Group, that used to be called once upon a time. Uh, but it's calling upon that uh, current who are both united, they're both united under the umbrella of um, Uh, the um, Ukraine Solidarity Campaign to unite with them. And I presume that call is also made to the Labour Representation Committee, a much more sort of diffuse federalistic organization, but nonetheless, they're organized under the social imperialist camp. Apparently there's been a couple of letters in solidarity objecting to a personal view uh, that NATO, it's great that NATO, should be strengthened it's uh, nato should be defended and uh bolstered um so that's where these people um, um end up they say that america represents civilization uh they talk in terms of you know like paul mason uh the west uh being post-imperialist and what they mean by that is post-colonial and they mean by colonial having um you know Governor generals and commissioners and the bureaucracy and armies of occupation, you know, like the African Empire, of Britain and France, Portugal uh, and all the rest of it. Well, that came to an end uh, with U.S. hegemony. So um, modern imperialism in general doesn't involve colonies, it involves neo economic and political subordination of countries. And of course, imperialism itself is a pyramid. America is at the top, and then you've got subordinate powers uh, organized uh, below it. Is Russia imperialist? Not in my view. doesn't mean it's not capitalist, um, uh, but in general, uh, what is exported from Russia is money, which buys uh, luxuries uh, for corrupt politicians and uh, the people that we call oligarchs. It's not capital. Okay. Um, Uh, Just to add uh, that this social imperialist left um, doesn't learn. I mean, I remember the AWL um, before the Iraq war saying, well, at last, you know, if America wins, we'll have free trade unions and uh, we can see the class struggle develop in a normal way and um, things will be going swimmingly if America wins. And you look at the wreckage that America left behind, you look at the wreckage they left behind in. Iraq. You look at the wreckage uh, that they left behind, again, urged on uh, by some sections of the left, including, remember Ian Bone from Class War when it came to Libya? Look at Libya now, and one can carry on down the list, will these people ever learn? No, that doesn't seem to be the case. They are committed uh, to imperialism in the same way uh, that Keir Starmer is. Now, whether they're committed on the basis of receiving material rewards uh, for their um, loyalty to imperialism, their betrayal of the working class and socialism, I don't know. uh, But I think some people can be stupid enough uh, that they don't need bribing. Um, Either way, they act as if they've been bribed. They act as pawns uh, of imperialism. They act as pawns on uh, the chess game. Uh, that the CIA and the United States and its allies are playing uh, today, um, you know, with the fate of humanity. Uh, that's actually what um, is going on. Okay, just a quick comment on Russia. What are its war aims? Um, well, one, I don't think it's going to win. That's my guess. I could be wrong. Uh, I could be wrong um, because I'm taking in too much um, pro-Ukrainian Western propaganda about the Russian army being hammered and the advance going slowly. I've got no idea what their pre-planning was, how fast they were meant to be going. Um, Was this going to be a drive equivalent on Baghdad? I doubt it. But again, I'm not in the inside and I don't know. Either way, um, what I don't think is that russia's war what i don't take uh, at all seriously talk of denazification that's not russia's war aims yes there are nazis there are fascists let's call them fascists in ukraine included integrated uh, into the armed forces Uh, the fascist forces didn't do well in the last elections Uh, they didn't pass as my understanding is uh, the five percent five percent threshold nonetheless they are there they're organized they are armed um they clearly will be making gains politically uh, under these circumstances and maybe they turn around and blame the jewish president um for what uh, will happen to ukraine i don't know either way um I think that what Putin will be aiming to do is recruit such forces. Now, whether he's successful or not, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I think that's, um, you know, far from impossible. Why? Because Putin is not an anti-fascist in any, any meaningful sense. There will be fascists um, on his side. And I'm talking about armed militia, people who got some sort of, I don't know, I can't work it out myself if you're a Russian, some sort of pro-Hitler. um um, ideology i really can't work it out given how many russians died uh, in world war ii and you know hitler's um stuff about slavs being an inferior race and fit only for slavery that you've got described in mein camp either way there are those there in russia today and uh, putin tolerates and uses them um so, I just don't believe that. Uh, and it's crazy. Anyone saying that they support Putin on that basis, quite frankly, um, just deserts reality, uh, in my view. What's Putin's aim? My best guess is summed up under his other D, not denazification, but decommunization. And what's he mean by that? He means uh, he doesn't accept uh, Ukraine. Uh, as created uh, by brest and agreed by the Bolshevik government of um, under Lenin, I mean that's basically it. Um, and so what he what his aim is is not to recreate the Soviet Union. Um, I, again, that I just think that's a piece of uh, Western uh, rubbish. What his aim is, I think, is to create a neo tsarist empire. That doesn't make him the Czar. Uh, But a neo-Tsarist empire and the Tsarism, you could say, was based on the the Russian Orthodox Church, which recently the Ukrainian Orthodox Church broke away. So you've got Russian nationalism expressed in Russian orthodoxy, but you've also got a pan-Slavic ideology. And therefore, I think that what you've got is some sort of playing out of, uh, you know, uh, Russia, or I should say Moscow, as the third Rome, first Rome, then Constantinople and Greek Orthodoxy, and then the third Rome after the fall of Constantinople uh, in Moscow with the Russian Orthodox Church, but also Pan Slavism, and therefore the unity between the great Russians. Uh, the little Russians, uh, the Ukrainians and the white Russians, i.e. Uh, Belarus, what used to be called White Russia. Uh, that seems to me uh, to be Putin's aim. Now, whether you then have the extension of that uh, uh, new czarist um, empire to the south and uh, the Caucasus and uh, uh, to the Muslim east, that's another question. Uh, but that seems to me, be what putin's aim is as opposed to denazification no is that imperialist yes but not in the sense um, that marxists um, you know locate imperialism modern imperialism uh, in the accumulation of capital development of monopolies export of uh, capital Uh, this is great power politics Um, and so just bear in mind i'm not saying it is But just bear in mind, um, although Lenin often used Russian imperialism, it's also just worthwhile looking at uh, Trotsky's um, description of Russia, Tsarist Russia, as being a colonial power, but also a colonized power, a colonizing neo-colony, I think he called it. So it was under the domination of Anglo-French finance capital uh, that was also an expansionist uh, power. So Russia needs to be examined as Russia is. I'm not saying that we just copy Trotsky, uh, but it needs to be looked at concretely um, in the world as it is now. Uh, and um, I think descriptions of it as imperialist um, disarm the left. Uh, don't sharpen our analysis. And actually end up playing into the Western uh, narrative, as you see with uh, the social imperialists, people like Paul Mason and uh, all the rest of it. Okay, um, what's the time? What's... Right, I'm going to try to finish in about quarter an hour because I think an hour is enough, or more than enough, perhaps. Either way, okay. This is me reading Socialist Worker: How to Stop Russia um well you've got to um you to attack nato i agree uh, but what's what's the what should be done well socialist worker says we should support encourage and uh, welcome uh, revolt in the russian army i sort of go yeah sure sure okay i i, I see that uh, that's good um they say that there should be resistance in ukraine uh, they don't stop there though so they're not joining the social imperialist camp, uh, but they say that that resistance should be independent of NATO. Again, I go, well, okay, you know. Then they say um, that that they back uh, those taking to the streets in Moscow, Petrograd, and other Russian cities. And again, I I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what they expect is regime change. And I go, yeah, okay, I can go along with that. But I think in the heads of the comrades in the SWP, they think this is World War One and um, their rebellion by troops and all the rest of it and their street demonstrations is a reenactment of 1917. And I think that's delusional. The Bolsheviks were a mass party along with the Mensheviks and the SRs from 1905. And they dug deep roots in the working class and the working class was an international class and so therefore when Lenin and Zinoviev uh, called for revolutionary defeatism they stood not only on the basis of the resolutions that had been agreed massively agreed uh, by various congresses of the second international they were also of the view that whatever the minority we happen to be in various countries in Germany and Austria or Hungary or Britain or France or wherever, uh, that experience of the war would very quickly convince not only the peasant soldiers of Russia, but the proletarian armies in Germany, um, France, Britain, etc., of the reality of this war. And you could, yes, turn uh, inter imperialist war into a civil war for socialism. And that could be done and uh, they had every confidence in that strategy. It worked in Russia, it nearly worked in, in Germany, it could have worked in Germany, it could have worked in Austria, it could have worked in Hungary. Okay, we can't reenact history, but that was a realistic strategy. Um, looking at uh, regime change in uh, Russia today uh, would produce a colored revolution. Uh, the working class is not organized into a class for itself. If we look at what passes for parties in Russia, it's the official communist party uh, in the Duma. Okay, minus three deputies. I don't know what's happened to them, but this is a chauvinist, red, brown, pro-Putin. This is not a Bolshevik party. And you cannot say uh, that even the opposition, uh, was it worker communist party, let alone the small leftist groups, you know, who I admire in terms of their bravery in standing up to uh, Putin, these are not the equivalent of uh, the Bolsheviks or, or even the Mensheviks or even uh, the SRs. We're not in that world at the moment. And that was admitted, I candidly admitted in uh, Alex Kalinikos' otherwise unfortunate reply to Paul Mason, his much respected uh, Paul Mason. Chess basically said, well, look, the the left at the present time is pitifully weak, and we need to recognise that. So although we want to morally stand um, against imperialism, although we're right to say the main enemy is at home, the class struggle continues. We need to realise that what we've got ahead of us is not some very quick turn um, in politics that will... Put the working class in power the working class needs to be made into a class for itself that takes time and maybe we don't have that time but i don't think there's any shortcuts to it so we need to be emphasizing not the anti-war movement uh, not peace Uh, we need to be emphasizing the party question the working class needs a party and that party isn't the labor party um it's not tusk It's not the SWP, maybe some of those people in those um, organizations can provide the answer. I'm sure that's the case, but we need a Bolshevik type party. We need a party that's democratic centralist, that unites as one, but also freely debates uh, differences. There isn't a sect that can precisely um, empower the working class so it's got a realistic prospect of becoming the ruling class and putting an end to this madness of war, let alone uh, the question of um, ecological destruction and global uh, warming. So yeah, the main enemy is at home and it's just worthwhile. A good little article by Charlie Kimber in Socialist Worker. I'll have a look at it this week. Um, He just gives a very brief survey of trade unions and their position on the war. Some are good, some are bad some are indifferent what's worthwhile noting is at least in london where i live uh, the treatment meted out to the rmt rail marine transport union uh, which is left-led you know i don't know exactly who's dominant in it but it's a very left-wing trade union with a very left-wing leadership they've been staging a series of strikes on the london underground and causing chaos Um, You know, so London, the buses can't cope. The overground system can't cope. And what's been happening is the press, uh, the Daily Mail, the Evening Standard are uh, giveaway free. I don't know who owns it now. It used to be owned by a Russian. I'm not quite sure about now, but it's been bombarding. Uh, that union with accusations with various sectors that may have been, been bombarding that union with accusations that they're in the pay basically of Putin and they quote various resolutions that the RMT has passed and delegations that it's sent to the Donbass uh, where you see some assistant general secretary lined up with some breakaway uh, politician in one of these republics um, and so uh, what's interesting in that context is Charlie Kimbers able to say that, well, look at the RMT resolution on Ukraine. It just calls for peace, nothing more. Um, It it condemns Putin, nothing about NATO, as far as I understand it. He then goes on to look at the National Education Union, which did issue a statement, which said no to NATO expansion, and then had, had to withdraw it under political pressure. It's withdrawn it for further discussion. So, the general secretary still adheres to that position, but the union executive collapsed um, under political pressure. PCS, led by Mark Sawatka, former member of the AWL, mm-hmm. who I think broke with AWLism. So, I'm not exactly sure what his politics are, but they issued a statement against the objections of the SWP and a member of uh, the Communist Party of Britain the Morning Stars Party that mentioned NATO. Uh, Now, maybe that's Mark Sawatka still being an awl -er. His deputy is a member of the AWL, um, God help us. But this is a left-wing union, also with a strong presence from the Socialist Party of England and Wales. What were they doing on the executive? I don't know. So I don't know whether I trust Charlie or not, but I I will I will Charlie. Uh, so I think you're reporting you know what's true. If that's the case, then what we see is spew. Socialist Party in England and Wales, not adhere uh, to what it publishes um, um, in uh, the Socialist. He then comes to the FBU, the Fire Brigade um, Union, and that's led by someone who's a former member of um, Socialist Party, I think in England and Wales, but former member of Militant, the precursor to that uh, organization. And if if Charlie's report is anything to go by, they've got a very good position. They mention NATO, they condemn Putin. Of course, that's absolutely correct. But they also attack uh, Starmer. And my understanding is the cowardice um, of the spineless, Uh, Labour Party, 11, Um, and that's good. What about the rest of the trade union movement? Unison, I think the largest union today in Britain, Um, local government, it's that sort of um, a union, again, a general union, peace. Unite, um, the biggest donor um, historically, at least in recent years, to the Labour Party, either Britain's biggest union or second biggest now uh, union. Under a new general secretary, Sharon Graham, that much of the left, uh, at least the SWP does, Spew does about backing her. She was meant to bring uh, a fresh approach after McCluskey. Um, Condemnation of Putin, call for peace. Nothing about the Labour Party, nothing about NATO. And uh, I think those that have illusions in her um, were cruelly mistaken. And the argument that I would make is that precisely as the cost of living crisis, um, you know, bites, there are gonna be spontaneous strikes and they're gonna be spontaneous strikes across um, um, industry, across the National Health Service in the fire brigade, uh, you name it, we're all gonna be hit by a cost, cost of living crisis. And when the FBU go on strike and when they make their pay demand and it's not met and they go on a demonstration, Matt Rack is going to be attacked. The executive is going to be attacked as agents of Putin. Will he uh, show courage? Will he stand up? I hope so. But will then the bourgeoisie and the right wing and the Stamerites organize an election coup against him? Well, that's what they will attempt to do, in my view. And so what we'll see is economics and politics wound up uh, together. And we'll see the politicization of strikes and protests under the banner of solidarity uh, with Ukraine. And we could easily see the extension of the witch hunt that we've seen in the Labour Party under the big lie of um, those that are anti-Zionist, being anti-Semitic. We can see the extension um, of if you aren't, uh, if you're for Russian withdrawal, uh, you must be pro-NATO, and when we turn around and say we are not pro-NATO, then we will be accused of being pro-Putin, and I see a witch hunt developing in the Labour Party along those lines, as this is going to be a protracted war, in my opinion, uh, and I see that affecting Um, strikes. I see that affecting protests. I see the left uh, not just about to leap into its October 1917 or its February or something like that. Uh, I see a period ahead of us of oppression, um, of great difficulty. I'm optimistic, um, but I think we have to tell the truth. And even if the truth is hard to tell, uh, I think it's our duty uh, to tell the truth as we see it, Uh, Even if it's not, the revolution is around the corner. I think if people are saying that, and they are in various left groups, uh, that is a con. And do they know it's a con? I don't know. I I think most people are sincere uh, and they really believe it. But to me, it's a profound strategic mistake. Okay, I'm going to finish very quickly now, Stan. Um, I've got uh, two minutes. Uh, by my uh, timepiece, International Women's Day, God help us, Uh, here's a festival of the left that was given away by the Soviet bureaucracy to the UN, has been taken up by corporates, turned into its opposite, and you can see that, just giving it as one example, the Times, celebrate International Women's Day by celebrating the 100 most influential British women, I mean, what a And we know who they're celebrating. They will be celebrating lawyers, businesswomen, bourgeois politicians, and that sort of um, uh, individual. They will not be celebrating collectivity, class, the solidarity between women workers and male workers. That was the original aim of International Women's Day, as established by Clara Zetkin and the Second International. We need to take it back. Um, Yes, how we do it, we need a party. We need the movement that we saw with the second international, third international, something that's mass. We ain't gonna just do it in the weekly worker and the left as it's presently um, organized. Just a quick comment on Rolls-Royce. They're gonna make mini nuclear reactors. This according to the Daily Telegraph can solve the climate crisis they've already discussed the danger of nuclear power in the context of Ukraine. Um, that Ukraine, uh, the very fact that they talk seriously about the weaponization of these uh, nuclear plants, the Rolls-Royce plants no doubt are a lot safer than Chernobyl. Uh, they can be built quicker than these mega nuclear plants. So instead of 20 years, maybe they can do it in five, Either way, the technology is inherently uh, dangerous, as we've seen in Ukraine. Refugees, very quick comment. Um, Britain wants to hold, you know, both indulge in um, we're in solidarity with ordinary Ukrainian people, but not let them in in um, large numbers. And so we have all this stuff about uh, Checks and and the excuses. Well, we don't know if uh, we're letting in murderers, such as those that attempted to see the kill the Scroobos in uh, Shrewsbury. They were let in on tourist visas, not as refugees. It's it's a lie, you know. Uh, so on the one hand, they're indulging in uh, humanitarian concern uh, for refugees, and notice the t- different treatment, the different publicity to Ukrainians compared with Kurds, Syrians, Iraqis, Libyans, the victims in Africa of IMF restructuring uh, programs that are trying to get over the English Channel and talk about turning them back and arresting them and charging them and confining them on some island like the Falklands. Uh, These are human beings and all human beings, you know, should be able to live where they choose, and if they they want to escape intolerable conditions, there are no, there's no difference um, between a, a Syrian trying to escape the horrors of Syria and a Ukrainian trying to escape the horrors of Ukraine. From Hungary's point of view, from Poland's point of view, of course they're white and they're Christian, and most of them are Catholic, and uh, we reject that that sort of division amongst human beings. Lastly, uh, Northern Ireland says sorry to the victims of child abuse. And what we see is all political parties that are part of government, including Sinn Fein, notice that, that have been at least in the form of the IRA, provisional IRA, fighting to bring that government down, saying sorry. Um, So you get the DUP, um, Sinn Fein, Alliance, whoever else has got a government position in that sector and Lebanon of uh, Northern Ireland but you also get the churches because in Northern Ireland you have the Catholic Church running boys homes you have the Presbyterian Church the Church of Ireland I don't know about other churches but they're all saying sorry well to me it's a bit like uh, the Metropolitan, uh, in head of the Metropolitan Police saying, sorry for met, uh, for met violence against black people, against young people, against women. Uh, no, these institutions by their very nature abuse uh, uh, people. And from our point of view, we have a program of empowerment of young people. Um, they're not adults. We're not claiming that they're adults. Uh, but they should not be in a position uh, of where they are subject and under the thumb of uh, churches. Um, No, we actually need solidarity and we need power. We need working class power and we need the power of young uh, people so that young people are not simply um, monitored and the people over them are tick boxed Oh, they're safe. It's the power relationship uh, that we object to. So sorry is not good enough. It's the institutions that cause the problem and the institutions need to go. There needs to be a separation of church and state and there needs to be a massive democratization um, of the state. And that can only happen uh, with the empowerment of the working class under capitalism and the superseding of capitalism by working class power and uh, the emergence of a semi-state that's already in the process of withering away. Something that of course cannot happen in Northern Ireland alone, but relies on a global strategy and a global transition, uh, which I've already touched upon. Um, four minutes past, there you are, that's my hour done.